Welcome to the Whiteheader Parenting in an Online World podcast. And on this podcast, we're going to be taking a more holistic approach to online safety in an enlightening and not frightening way based upon facts and not fear. We will provide parents, caregivers, and educators with real-world examples, experiences, and evidence-based research that will help to keep our kids safer emotionally, psychologically, physically, and even socially when they're navigating today's on-life world. Let's get after it, shall we? Well, welcome everyone. Darren with the White Hatter team, and I'm excited to be your host. And on this podcast episode, we're going to be taking a look at cyberbullying, or what we like to call digital peer aggression. This topic deserves so much attention that we're going to be splitting it up into two podcasts. This week, we're going to be talking about the who, what, where, when, why, and how of cyberbullying. And next week's podcast, we're going to be looking at what parents and schools can do to cope with this challenge. As always, this episode is not about telling you how to parent your child because you're the parent, not us. This podcast episode is all about bringing to your attention what we've seen to be best practices when it comes to parenting in the online world. Let's talk about bullying. We found that many people utilize the term bullying to describe undesirable behavior between two parties that can be physical, verbal, social, emotional, or even digital in nature. However, we believe that the word bullying is being overused and diluted given that any undesirable behavior experienced by youth is commonly being categorized or identified as bullying by parents, educators, counselors, law enforcement, and even the youth themselves. Now, why does this happen? Most likely because here in Canada and even in the rest of North America, we do not have one agreed upon definition for the word bullying. It means different things to different people. We believe that if we are going to effectively deal with true bullying behavior or what we like to call peer aggression, then we Canadians need to have an agreed upon definition that anyone and everyone can use as a starting point to define what it is. Very recently, the Supreme Court of Canada has created a blueprint for such a definition to be created. In 2012, the Supreme Court of Canada case known as AB versus Bragg, the court defined bullying as, and I quote, behavior that is intended to cause or should have known to cause fear, intimidation, humiliation, distress, or other forms of harms to other person's body, feelings, self-esteem, reputation, or property. Bullying can be direct or indirect and can take place by written, verbal, physical, or electronic means or any other forms of expression, close quote. Now, based upon the above-noted Supreme Court of Canada decision and consulting with teens themselves, we've created a definition that we believe is congruent with both current case law here in Canada and some of the definitions that many North American experts in the field of bullying often cite. So here's our definition of bullying that we use in our presentations, and I quote, It is peer aggression that can involve a power imbalance or jockeying for a hierarchy position such as popularity in a group of friends, either directly or indirectly, that can be delivered verbally, physically, by a writing or by an electronic or digital means, to support targeted behaviors by an individual group that is intended to cause or should have reasonably been known to cause fear, intimidation, humiliation, distress, or other forms of emotional, psychological, physical, and or social trauma, end quote. Now, in our opinion, this definition allows anyone to separate peer aggression, bullying, where there is often a power imbalance from behavior that is rude, mean, or disturbing in nature, or what some people call drama, where there is often no power imbalance involved. This is an important distinction to understand because the way we cope with rude, mean, or disturbing behavior should be totally different from how we deal with peer aggression or what is commonly known as bullying. 
In fact, we would suggest that rude, mean, or disturbing behavior provides an opportunity for youth to learn how to deal with interpersonal conflict, which is a needed skill as our kids move into adulthood. Parenting tip. A caution uh, when we use the word bullying or bully. When we talk about bullying, we tend to do so in such essentialist terms that label young people in a fixed way, providing identities that follow them from day to day and school to school. The message? Be careful when using the label bully. So what is the difference between bullying and rude, mean, or disturbing behavior? To help listeners decide if an identified behavior falls into the bullying definition, Cathal Walsh, a British Columbia educator and ex-principal, created a tool that we highly endorse that he calls the bullying equation. In this equation, if yes can be answered to the following six questions, then you are probably dealing with pure aggression, commonly known as bullying, rather than rude, mean, or disturbing behavior. Number one, is the hurtful behavior repetitive? Typically, peer aggression is not a one-off phenomena. Usually, peer aggression develops over time with an escalating number of negative, repetitive behaviors, either online or offline. Number two, is there an apparent desire to emotionally and or physically hurt others or to cause fear, intimidation, humiliation, distress, or other forms of harms to an other person's body, feelings, self-esteem, reputation, or property on the part of the suspected peer aggressor? In other words, is the aggressor's behavior malicious or is he is the hurt being experienced as a byproduct of their unruly conduct? Number three, is the suspected peer aggressor's desire to hurt followed by a deliberate hurtful action either online or offline? This can include pranks, teasing, and name calling. Number four, is there evidence of enjoyment on the part of the aggressor? This can include bragging and seeking social recognition from peers for negative behavior. Number five, is there a power imbalance? Is the aggressor older, bigger, or have assigned authority of some kind, including positional rule within a social pecking order of the peer group? And number six, is there a sense of oppression on the part of the target? Loss of appetite and sleep, not wanting to go to school, a loss of interest in activities previously enjoyed, or all some of the warning signs to be aware of. If a child feels they are being peer aggressed, they should be listened to and the situation thoroughly reviewed. Now, we believe that Cathal's bullying equation is a great litmus test that we can apply to any unwanted questionable behavior to help us adults decide as to whether the behavior reported to us or observed is in fact bullying or just rude, mean, or disturbing behavior. Again, we believe that as a society we need a definition that all Canadians can agree upon and utilize to identify what bullying is and more importantly what it is not. With this definition, we can now move forward looking for desirable ways to cope with both bullying behavior and other concerning behaviors that are instead rude, mean, or disturbing in nature. Although traditional bullying has really only affected our youth while at school or traveling to or from school, modern technology has now enabled those who bully to extend their reach of peer aggression no matter where the intended target may be located or the time of day. As Dr. Hinduja and Dr. Patchen stated in their excellent book on the topic, Bullying Beyond the Schoolyard, and I quote, While power in traditional bullying might be physical or social, online power may simply stem from proficiency with or the knowledge or possession of some content that can be used to inflict harm. Anyone with any of these characteristics or possessions within a certain online context has power, which can be wielded through some form of cyberbullying. Indeed, anyone who can utilize technology in a way that allows them to mistreat others is in a position of power, at least at the moment, relative to the target of the attack." End quote. We are often asked, are there criminal and civil consequences to cyberbullying in Canada? 
Unknown to many Canadians, the Criminal Code, which applies to every province and territory in Canada, has approximately 14 different offences or sections that we believe can effectively be used to deal with a variety of forms of digital peer aggression when reasonable to do so. These include criminal harassment, harassing communications, uttering threats, defamatory libel, impersonation, intimidation, counselling suicide, extortion, sending false messages, hate crime, voyeurism, mischief to data, unauthorized use of a computer or cell phone, possession, distribution, accessing of child pornography, and mischief. Not only are these potential criminal consequences to bullying that one can face, but there are also civil consequences which include defamation and a new legal tort known as seclusion upon intrusion, where you breach a person's privacy online like the non-consensual posting of an intimate image publicly. Another possible legal consequence, if a youth is being targeted because of their religious beliefs, sexuality, race, or because of an emotional, psychological, or physical disability, in some provinces, such as British Columbia, the peer aggressor can also be held accountable under the province's Human Rights Code. Do we believe that new criminal laws in Canada need to be enacted to deal with these issues of digital peer aggression? No, we don't. Do we believe that we can tighten up some of the existing criminal code sections mentioned to make them more congruent with today's online challenges? Absolutely. However, the fact remains that the process to obtain evidence to prove a criminal charge beyond a reasonable doubt to a Canadian court of law is fraught with legal and administrative processes. If the government can make this evidentiary collection process smoother through legislative and administrative change, it would allow law enforcement the ability to bring these cases to court in a quicker and more efficient way. We also need to hold internet service providers, commonly known as ISPs, and mobile cell providers more accountable to both creating and enforcing appropriate and reasonable terms of service specific to this issue, which we believe can be accomplished with proper federal overwatch legislation and administrative processes. However, it is important to note that laws are not a panacea to stopping digital peer aggression. In our opinion, education is the keystone for all stakeholders, but we do need laws for those who become willfully blind to such education and criminally target others, both online and offline. We also believe that school-based restorative justice initiatives are far more desirable in many cases of digital peer aggression. The traditional criminal justice system should only be used in the most serious of incidents. So what is the frequency of cyberbullying in Canada? Current research has found that cyberbullying or peer aggression is most often committed by someone the intended target knows, loves, or trusts, and is the most frequent threat and challenge that youth face today, both online and offline. A concern to us as parents and caregivers, recent research has shown that 60% of those who are targeted do not tell an adult. According to Dr. Hinduja and Dr. Patchen, there are two primary reasons why our youth are not disclosing. Number one, victims don't want to be blamed for their behavior and are often afraid that parents will simply remove the source of the problem, meaning their computer or their cell phones. And number two, victims feel that adults are ill-equipped or unwilling to intervene on their behalf in a calm and rational manner to resolve the situation. Just recently, Dr. Hinduja reported out that 17% of youth said that telling a parent was effective and only 6.2% said that an educator's intervention actually worked. As adults, we need to do better to help our kids overcome this challenge.
Often in the media, we will hear that cyberbullying has reached epidemic levels with youth in Canada. Nothing could be further from the truth. In a 2014 Stats Canada study, it was found that between the ages of 15 to 29, only 17% or about one in five students reported that they'd been the target of a cyberbullying incident. In fact, across North America, legitimate peer-reviewed research shows us that the rates of cyberbullying range from between 10% to 35%. We believe that what the research shows us is that cyberbullying, although a reality, is not the norm in many schools across Canada. Having said this, one incident is one too many. Research update. It was hypothesized by some that during COVID, bullying and more importantly cyberbullying would increase dramatically given that youth were moving to online learning. Well, we are now starting to see some good evidence-based research both here in Canada and the United States that shows that there was in fact a decrease in face-to-face -face bullying, which wasn't surprising to us. However, when it came to cyberbullying, we also saw that it maintained the same frequency as pre-COVID rates, or if there was an increase, it was only slight in nature. And you can find some links to those studies in the notes of this podcast. To us, this research may suggest that the organizational and power structure bullies use at school, both online and offline, were disrupted because of COVID, which may be a key strategy as we move forward from a prevention standpoint. It's interesting how COVID and at-home learning may have provided insight as to prevention strategies that are different from those that were focal point pre-COVID, if we can understand the how and why. We look forward to watching how this develops through further research. From a mental health standpoint, a further 2022 Canadian study from the University of Alberta found that bullying can increase frequencies of depression in youth as they age into middle adolescence, which emphasizes the need for education prevention strategies at the elementary level. This study found, and I quote, overt peer victimization are associated with depressive symptoms in early to middle adolescence. Early frequencies of related peer victimization appear to be more detrimental for adolescents' experiences of depressive symptoms than experiences of overt peer victimization. These findings further indicate that early frequencies of depressive symptoms contribute to vulnerability to both relational and overt peer victimization. Depressive symptoms as a precipitating factor for peer victimization requires a mental health approach and preventative interventions targeting peer victimization. It is clear that supporting the mental health of adolescents is critical for initiatives addressing peer relationship problems." End quote. So how has the internet and social media contributed to cyberbullying? Number one, given how our youth have embraced technology in all its forms, it's not surprising to see peer aggressors using the same technology to target others. Also, given the virtual and viral nature that a message can be sent to a large number of people in a short period of time, it makes such technology a useful launching platform. Number two, a peer aggressor can hide behind the anonymity of a computer or cell phone to send a message, thus reducing the chances of being caught. Number three, anonymity breeds disinhibition, which frees the peer aggressor to say whatever they want in a digital world that they would never think about saying if they were face to face with their target in the real world. There's a lack of supervision. Chances are slim to none that anyone will see the peer aggressor sending the message, thus decreasing the chances of being identified. Number five, teens are often take their cues from pop culture. Just look at some of the shows that youth will watch online where the characters are constantly targeting those who are heavy uh, members of the LGBTQ plus community or disabled. This is even true of some of our world leaders. Some youth will mimic these behaviors that they see online. Another big reason why cyberbullying has become more frequent 
often the cyberbullying does not immediately understand or internalize the very real consequences of their actions until it's too late. As we've stated before, youth live for the here and now and rarely think about the future. This is why it is so important to educate our youth about the harmful consequences of cyberbullying and share with them the story of Ryan Halligan. There have been several cases reported in the media where a youth has taken their life by suicide, both in Canada and the United States. One such case involved a young teenager by the name of Ryan Halligan. Ryan, during the summer before his eighth grade, began an online relationship with a very popular girl from his school. Once school began, however, this girl told Ryan that he was a loser and only wanted to befriend him because she thought it would be funny to pretend to like him and to share their texts with their friends so that she could embarrass him publicly at school. Because of this type of peer aggression, Ryan became depressed and visited websites that promoted suicide. On October 7, 2003, Ryan took his life by suicide. After his death, Ryan's father located a message on Ryan's computer dated October 6, where he stated that he was considering taking his life the next day. Ryan's message got a reply from another visitor stating, It's about effing time. End quote. Remember, when we were younger, we heard the phrase, Sticks and stones may break our bones, but names will never hurt you. We as parents, educators, and youth need to change this phrase. To sticks and stones may break your bones, but cyberbullying can harm others emotionally, psychologically, physically, and even socially. Parenting tip. Here's a very important keystone that was reported out in a 2009 Canadian youth violence project specific to cyberbullying, and I quote, Online or offline, the environment when it comes to cyberbullying is almost always school life and not the internet. End quote. So what can cyberbullying be? Mediums through which cyberbullying often occur include voicemails, emails, social media platforms, voting or rating sites, blogging sites, websites, virtual worlds, texting, streaming, and online gaming. No matter what the medium, cyberbullying includes, but is not limited to, direct text messages of threats or harassment. This would, could also include something called a text war, where the intent is to have a group of individuals target one person with an overabundance of text messages. Stealing passwords. This can also allow the cyberbullying to have access to your accounts and pretend to be you while online. Once a person has your password, they can change your profile to something that could include sexual or racist remarks. Inappropriate social media pages, blogs, or website creations that can contain nothing but lies about you or even questionable pictures, but that that are available for all to see. Purposely sending inappropriate morphed or doctored pictures to others, including friends and family. Internet voting or polling booths. Most online polling programs are free and others can start a poll asking, do you think Jane is easy to get into bed? Yes or no? Or who is the ugliest, fattest, or dumbest person in the school? Outing. This is where the peer aggressor will share someone's secrets or embarrassing information online with others. Posting rumors. Group chat exclusions or what is called ghosting one another. Leaving out of photos and tags. Purposely sending malicious software that contain virus and trojans and other malicious software to your computers or to your cell phones. Purposely sending porn and spam to your email and physical threats to do you or others harm. As bullying academic researcher Christopher Donahue stated in his excellent book, The Sociology of Bullying, and I quote, Although these behaviors are viewed by adults to be harmful and destructive, through the eyes of the aggressor, they are often seen to be potentially effective ways of getting what they want. These behaviors, even when distasteful to the aggressor, are seen to be a means to an end, and they often work, end quote. Young people who use aggressiveness and bullying to advance their status are frequently strategic in their approach, choosing victims based upon views of their own dominance of the victim's degree of popularity. And it is frequently works, which is why it is not uncommon for aggressors to sometimes attack their own friends. 
Important note, just recently, some great 2022 research was published by our friends and colleagues, Dr. Justin Patch and Dr. Samir Hinduja with the Cyberbullying Research Center in the United States on something they call digital self-harm. What is Dr. Patchen's definition of digital self-harm? I quote, it's anonymous online posting, sending, or otherwise sharing of hurtful content about oneself, end quote. Yes, sometimes teens can target themselves via what many would call cyberbullying. In fact, this research found, and I quote, 8.6% of youth reported that they had anonymously posted something online about themselves that was mean, end quote. The question Dr. Patchen and Dr. Hinduja asked and answered in this research, can digital self-harm lead to suicide, suicidality amongst teens? Their findings, and I quote, youth who reported that they had participated in digital self-harm were significantly more likely to also report that they had suicidal thoughts or had attempted suicide, end quote. This research emphasizes the fact that parents, caregivers, and educators need to be careful about blaming others for cyberbullying when in fact it may be digital self-harm being posted by the targeted teen. So what are the cyberbullying signs that we should be aware of? Although not uncommon for targets of cyberbullying to not tell others that they're being victimized, there are several behavior signs that parents, teachers, and guardians should be aware of to help identify a person who may need help, which includes a marked change in the youth's computer or cell phone habits. The youth appears angry, depressed, or frustrated after using a computer or cell phone. The youth won't say who they're talking to or texting with. The youth have trouble sleeping. The youth is experiencing stomach or headaches on an ongoing basis. They have a fear of leaving the house. The youth is crying for no apparent reason. Frequent visits to school nurse or wants to call parents to come and get them at school. Lowered self-esteem. A marked change in attitude, dress, or habits. Unexplained broken personal possessions, loss of money, loss of personal items. Stories that don't make a lot of sense when you're talking to your child. Missing or incomplete schoolwork and a decrease in success in studies. And heightened levels of anxiety or depression. So what can our kids do if a cyberbully is targeting them or a friend? Number one, they need to know what cyberbullying violence can be and to tell an adult they trust that they are being targeted. If an adult they approach takes no action, find another one. We want them to keep telling people until someone makes it stop. Number two, teach them to ignore all cyberbullying attempts. If they take the bait, it will only get worse. Number three, have them restrict those who can communicate with them via email, direct messages, and text messaging. Number four, teach them how to restrict others from being able to add you to their buddy list, which can usually be done in your privacy settings. Number five, Google themselves and see what is out there about them on the World Wide Web. The results may shock them. It's also recommended that they should set up Google Alerts to help monitor their digital presence online. Number six, teach them how to block the sender. Most social media platforms uh, have this feature. Number seven, teach them how to report the issue to the sender's internet service provider or even app. Most apps and internet service providers have strict rules surrounding this issue. Number eight, if happening during school hours and from a fellow student, have them notify the school administrator immediately. And number nine, teach them how to record, copy, screen capture, and save everything and take legal action where appropriate to do so. As we always say in all our parent and caregiver programs, be your child's best parent and not their best friend when it comes to their on-life world. There is a difference. However, to do this, parents and caregivers need to educate themselves as well, and that is what this podcast is all about. Remember parents, you are not alone on this digital journey. We are here to help. 
Don't forget to check out our website at www.thewhitehatter.ca and our White Hatter Facebook page where there's just a ton of free content to help parents and caregivers parent in today's online world. As well, on our website, we outline all the programs that we offer to schools, families, youth groups, and even businesses when it comes to social media safety and digital literacy. Stay strong, be that mentor and digital sheepdog. And from the White Hatter team, thank you for listening. And we look forward to sharing part two of this podcast next week. So until then, have a great week, everyone. Thank you.